Rising above the level of mediocrity, next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. It's not easy going against the grain, especially in a culture such as ours. Our society demands a spiral downward, while our God calls us to rise heavenward. So how do we live well in an evil world? That's the question we're answering here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Hi there and welcome to our program. Join us for the next half hour and be encouraged, won't you? Living well in an evil world. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with all the details. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It literally means in the Greek here to buy up time. And the word for time is not chronos, which we get our word chronology. It's kairos, buy up the season, buy up the opportune moment. And one of the sure symptoms of a wise person is the way they treat time. The President of the United States has no more time in a day than you do. Those who have earned five degrees don't have any more time in their days than you do. And I'm just amazed at uh, the way people treat time. Listen to the great preacher Jonathan Edwards, 1700s. By the way, uh, I believe Princeton just did a uh, printed the works of uh, Jonathan Edwards, of course, all written by hand, no typewriters, no computers. Uh, it is volume after volume after volume. I have a two-volume set of his that I have to amplify it on the Xerox machine just to get to read it. All written by hand. I think of Martin Luther. Martin Luther went in prison, and the king of Germany puts him in one of his castles to keep him from being killed by the pope and his armies. While he's in the castle, while he's suffering from gallstones, while he's fleeing persecution, while he's in prison, he translates the entire Latin Vulgate into the German tongue by script and ink so that when he gets out in two years, the German Bible has been written by a prisoner. Can you imagine just try to translate anything from another language to English or your mother tongue. I mean, and the works of Luther, on and on. I mean, all handwritten. Jonathan Edwards said one of his resolutions for life was resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. Amazing. Making the most of your opportunities. He's saying, as wise people, seize the time. The days are evil, and every opportunity you can lay hold of time and do something good with it, seize it. And I think of a persecuted church in the first century, oftentimes fleeing for the life, oftentimes scattered, as in the book of James, many times eventually in the catacombs, fleeing the Roman government. Seize the opportunity. Use your freedom for something good. Lay hold of time. Every hour has 60 diamond minutes. 
Make them count for something. Don't just squander time because you'll wind up, he says, becoming old and decrepit. And you'll say, oh, I wish I had remembered God in my youth. I remember, I wish I would have feared the Lord and kept his commandments. And now all I've got is another birthday and nothing to show for it. What will you do if God gives you another 365 days? You ought to write down sometime what you want your epitaph to read. What would you like to be remembered for? You don't want that one epitaph that says, I told you I was sick. You know, I mean, uh, that's not a legacy. What would you like to be on your epitaph? I was the world's best squanderer of time. I had a thousand excuses for not learning the Bible. I was the best pinochle player in the world. I won more games of boggle than you could ever imagine. Isn't that a legacy? Your legacy will be what you choose to do with your time. And you make that choice. And you put your time on your priorities, what you think is important. And he's saying to us, I want you to live wisely. I want you to seize time by the throat. Make it your own. I admired uh, what Carolyn went through. She tried to be there for her mother and children and all that. And as she's getting towards her 50s, she always wanted to finish her education. And she got on that track and she said, it just hit her one day. I'm going to get older anyway. I'm going to keep having birthdays. What will I have to show for what I did last year? So she graduates, you know, in her 50s with a bachelor's degree that should have been done when she's 22. But you can't put a husband through and get yours. You can't have babies and get through whatever. But instead of laying around and saying it won't ever happen, it was an aspiration. She wanted it. She got it. I admired her greatly for it. She seized the moment. Lay hold the opportunities you have to witness, the opportunity to serve. You know, there's no biblical theology for the American concept of retirement. There's absolutely not one shred of evidence for it. That you reach a certain age and then you discontinue all involvement and maybe contribution. You just travel. Okay, travel if you can. That's wonderful. All for it. Why not do it when you're 32? But just say, I hit a, a magic date that you said, boom. After that, don't bother me. My life is my own and I will attend church, but don't expect anything. What a terrible way to live some of the best years of your life when you've spent a lifetime learning, a lifetime of raising children, a lifetime of working, a lifetime of learning something, and all of a sudden we shelve some of our best wisdom because we set some magic date out there that says, at this point, I no longer wish to be a major contributor. Where did we get that? We didn't get it from the Bible. And I think it's a lot of the loneliness of senior years. I've got money, location, but I don't have a purpose. I don't know why I'm still alive. Seize, seize the moment. Seize the opportunities God gives you. Lay hold of it. Spend time preparing yourself to know God's will. Uh, 
I hear Jesus say, they asked for one time why he was so involved healing in John 9. And he said these great words, we must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. And I've often quoted the great missionary Robert Morrison's line. It is a favorite of mine. In which he said, my dear brothers, we only have one hour before midnight to win our victories. But we'll have all eternity to celebrate them. We've only got an hour. Don't waste it. Seize it. Use it. There's no age limit on what God wants to do with you. Then he says, live in pursuit of wisdom. Live in pursuit of wisdom. He's already mentioned that, but now he says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he comes back. Now, now let me, there's two different words here. One is Sophia and another one is Freunie. Freunima, connected to our mind here, frame of thinking. And one word, when they make a nuanced difference, Sophia had the idea of uh, true insight to known facts, insight into the nature of things. But this word he comes up with here that says, let us not be foolish, but understanding. The word opposite of foolish is, uh, let's have discernment and discretion. And some have made the distinction that one is, I see through the facts, I understand their implications. The other is to live life in the practical. I know how to apply the Christian life. It's like you could be a world's brilliant brain surgeon and not know how to keep a marriage nor how to raise kids. You are a technocrat. You are gifted. You see through great things. But how to live life. God hasn't revealed the word to make you a brain surgeon. That's not the purpose of the word. It's how to live out godliness in a practical way with true understanding. I, I've seen guys, even as I went through seminary, who could be theologically and uh, even language whizzes, astute, who uh, their biggest problem was life. How to just relate to people. Uh, how to get along. Applied knowledge. And that's what he's saying here. And he's saying to know the will of God. Now, hear me well here. This is a good thing you need to know. When, when most believers, when they talk about the will of God, they're talking about me, where I live, who I marry, where I work. That's not all what Paul's saying here. He's been talking about the will of God for five chapters. The will of God in salvation. The will of God in his plan to bring different peoples together in one body. The first will of God you need to concern yourself with is the revealed will of God, his plan and purpose for life. Just the big will of God, and don't get into all the me-isms about the will of God. What is, God's, what is God up to in the church? What is God up to in the earth? Don't be asking where I ought to live in Phoenix or here. In some ways, God could care less. Because if you don't do the will of God in Phoenix and you don't do it here, why would he care to tell you? It's knowing what he's about, the plan. I want you to know the will of God, what he's revealed about himself. Oh, we can pray for personal direction, and he does provide that. But his first emphasis is here, I want you to be growing in wisdom, growing in your understanding. Uh, 
this week I'm reading a book uh, on justification and imputation. Those are big theological terms that probably bore you to death. The first time I ever studied those terms were uh, 1963. Now, what in the world in 2003? That's 40 years later. Because I just want to keep growing and understanding what God did for me in salvation. Has nothing to do with who I marry, whether I ought to buy a car, whether I ought to go somewhere. It's his great plan in salvation. And I see so many believers, they don't understand that plan at all. They don't know what God's up to. And he said, I want you to be growing in this. This is the way you make it your business. What is God up to? And as Luther said, I beat upon the passage. Romans 1, 17. I beat upon it until I understood it. Instead of these quick little snaps in the morning. Well, I had devotions and you don't know anything. Just saying that you read a chapter in the Bible, it does not do it. You want to get your ear down there so you can hear him. Talk to me, Lord. I don't want to say I read three chapters of something that I don't know what in the world it was about. I want to find out his will. What is this God up to? And this is his last will and testament. Too many times as saints, we want to know what pertains to us and we don't know this grand plan of God. Now he moves into something that is sure enough his will. Do not get drunk because it will waste your life. Basically is the word debauchery. It will waste you. It's an imperative. But be filled with the spirit continuously. It's really interesting. I'll come back to this. Uh, next message on what spirit filling is all about, but it's four C's really when he commands them. It's a command. It's to be continuous. It's a plural. It's a corporate command. He's commanding the whole church to be filled. And it's a cooperative command. I want you to meet the conditions that allow the spirit to fill you. He'll do the filling, but you must meet the conditions. It's a cooperative thing. Let the Spirit of God fill you. And the better way to translate it is the emphasis is not as much on content as who does the filling. Be filled by the Holy Spirit is the idea. Instrumental. Let the Spirit of God be filling you. Various concepts. It means control, influence. They were filled with joy. What does it mean to be filled with joy? Basically, I'm controlled by that emotion. They were filled with sorrow. They were controlled by it. What does it mean to be drunk? It means to be under the control or the influence of another substance. And when you see the antithetical command, be under the control, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. An interesting point uh, in pharmacology is that uh, it is a proven fact that alcohol is a depressant. It it, uh, changes your behavior, but it is a known depressant. If you went to any pharmacology book and looked and wanted to get the category, depressant, alcohol. And it seems as though what he's saying, according to Dr. Lloyd-Jones, is, I don't want you to be under the control of a depressant. 
I want you under the control of the Spirit who is a stimulant. And He will enable you to do these participle commands that come right off of this. Be under the control of the Spirit. I wanted to just remind you that the unsaved have no Holy Spirit to help them do anything. Uh, they are on their own power. Uh, it's, uh, it's the whole rehab in industry, getting people off of drugs, alcohol, AA, all of these organizations, and uh, they've been used in great ways. But the culture is addicted to things they don't have the power to break. Man is addicted to sin. Uh, he's addicted to himself. He, for sure, this is going to lead into the family life situation. He doesn't know how to love a wife, and a wife doesn't know how to treat a husband. And the, the two of them together don't know how to treat children, and children don't know how to respond to parents. And you think, where do we get this? How many books do we need to read? How many books? How many seminars? How many specialists? The answer is, you first must come under the control of the Spirit. He's commanding you, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled by means of the Spirit. Then we'll look at the agenda that God wants us to walk in. But I think many times we think God has only put this new life as a carrot in front of the horse, and you'll never get it. You just salivate all your Christian life, hoping against hope, that you could ever realize it, but you know nobody could ever live that way. That is not the Christian life. That is despair. God has given us the means and the power to live the life he's given. The frustration of Israel with the law, they had the greatest legislation in the world and little power to do it. The law had no power to obey. L look at Romans 8, 3. Oh, you need it all. Verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, is that interesting? How many guilty Christians do we have this morning? Don't raise your hand. Thank you. I knew it. Uh, and he represents 500 votes. I mean, some folks think that the Christian life is best lived with guilt. It is not. It's best lived with forgiveness and acceptance. No condemnation. Even if my preaching does make you feel guilty all the time. In Christ, you're not condemned. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of the spirit, Holy Spirit, set me free from the law of sin. That is sin nature, not the law of Moses. For what the law, this is the law of Moses, was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. Nothing wrong with the law. But those to whom it was given were weak by the presence of a sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Not by us, but in us. And who meets them? Who meets those requirements? One, my substitute. All the penalty against me for breaking sin, Christ bore, and all the positive aspects of keeping them have been charged to my account because I'm in him. I have kept everything the law demanded in my representative, Christ. 
That's justification by faith, Romans chapter 4. Read it during the game. It's met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature. And it's also met in us practically by the power of the Spirit. Is that powerful? The requirements are met. We can not only meet them, but excel them. Now, the natural man does not have this power. The best he can do is seek secular counsel. The natural man has no input to the things of God. But I put down here, what the spirit? We are spirit people. And uh, the first thing the spirit did to you, he convicted you, like John 16. Convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But whether you know it or not, and you do know it if you're saved, is that the Spirit of God was there to regenerate you in Titus 3, 5. And regenerate simply means he beget new life in you. Uh, You've been given a new life. You have a life from above. And the Spirit was there actively involved in the process of seeing that you were born again and regenerated unto new life. So all of us have a divine life in us, divine nature in us magnificent. And the spirit was there. And then uh, he not only regenerated you, but uh, the Holy Spirit took you the moment you believed and he baptized you into Christ. And just think of it. I was in Adam. The moment I believed, the spirit just immersed me into this new representative, Jesus Christ. Now I'm seen in him. Permanently, forever, on my worst day, I am in Christ and you can't take it away. You didn't get me in, you can't get me out. The one that got me in was the Spirit and I got the promise of the Father, whoever comes to me, I never will kick out. I'm in Christ. And every verse of the Bible that says you're in Christ is a result of the baptizing work of the Spirit, that for by one Spirit we were all baptized or immersed into our new living head, Jesus Christ. How many of you are in Christ? Wonderful, wonderful. Now, besides that, the Holy Spirit, me in Christ, is the baptizing work of the Spirit. Christ in me is the regenerating work. And besides that, the Holy Spirit's moved into me. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit the moment they get saved. Everyone, those that talk in tongues and those that don't. Tongues has nothing to do with it. Every child of God is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. How many of you got the Holy Spirit? You sure? I mean, he's in there, right? Okay. So far, I'm talking to Christians. Good. Uh, Ephesians 4, 30, 1, 13. You've been sealed, not by, but with the Spirit in Christ. And that seal means God recognizes you as his own. It's a seal of ownership and a seal of guarantee. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Thank you for joining us today. It's our prayer that our time together here on Truth For Today encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. As we close out our broadcast, we would also like to invite you to contact us if you have a 
question about the broadcast, a prayer request. Maybe you'd like to order a copy of today's broadcast. We do have them available. Simply contact us and let us know of your interest. You can reach us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. You are also welcome to write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. We're here at Suite 278, Hercules, California. Zip code is 94547. Now, another way to contact us and learn more about us would be to visit our website, valleybible.org. It's there that we have all kinds of information about who we are, what we believe, directions to the church, service times. And we also have a lot of resource material stored there as well. Simply go to valleybible.org and spend some time exploring our website, finding out about us a bit more. If you would like to become a TFT sustainer, we would love to hear from you. This broadcast is aired daily here on KFAX as we are able to partner with you, our listeners, financially. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once a year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. Our weekly video devotional is available to you as well. And again, it's all as a TFT sustainer. When you contact us with your gift of any amount, we'll sign you up. 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. Or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.